All right. <clears throat> Today, we are covering the king Israel deserved and the king whom God loved. Um, last week, we talked about Samuel just making sure Israel understood that by asking for a king, they were getting something much less. And he warned them about the sins of kings and of people, and if they disobey God, what he will do. And um, the end of Samuel 12, verse 25, 24 and 25, he says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be shall be swept away. And it's prophetic, obviously, because he's a prophet. But as we get through these kings of Israel, and we see the hearts of the kings as well as the hearts of the people, and sometimes the people steer the king wrong, and sometimes the king steers the people wrong, and... It was the beginning of Israel, but it was also the beginning of their downfall when God could have raised them to higher heights than any nation has ever been because he was the one true God living with people and all nations of the earth would wonder at this and come and ask and God would be glorified and Israel would be his, really sort of like his right hand man. Yes, this is who God is. Let us take you to him. Let us teach you about him. But instead, they ask for a human to lead them. And so, really all of chapter 12 is a reminder by Samuel that you're not getting something better. But God says, I have to anoint a king, and he anoints Saul. And he was a Benjamite. And it's weird, the people ask for him, but then they seem unsure of what to do now that they have a king. They had asked God for a king, and while they weren't against his choice... Each tribe kind of wanted the king to be one of their own. It wasn't long before an enemy attacked and Saul called upon Israel to send their fighting men to him and they did nothing. They pretty much just said, well, you handle it. And so 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. And look at this. It doesn't, you know, like today... And in the New Testament, it says the Spirit dwells within you and the fruits of the Spirit are within us. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people and sometimes they would just fall to the ground and prophesy. It was more just this alien force pushing you to do God's will. And it says he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout all Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah, 30,000. And it's a continual refrain as Israel rises to prominence, and even before in the desert, Judah is different. There's something about it. There was a prophecy that Jacob gave right before he died, and it called Judah a roaring lion. It said that Judah would attach itself to a vine that's greater than itself, and that the scepter would never depart from Judah. Judah always led 
the march in Israel. He were all, Judah was always out front, protecting the tabernacle. There's there's a, a uniqueness to Judah among Israel, and it's the most prosperous and largest populated tribe, and they have the most warriors. And it says that Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. So he was king for quite a long time, um, but very quickly in his reign, he made a mistake that would cost him the line of kings, the line of Israel. And uh, it seems like a mistake that we would all make. It's easy to judge the characters in the Bible, but they were human just like we're human. And in Israel, there was a separation of powers, very similar to our government, our U.S. Constitution. There were the prophets, the high priest, and the king. The prophets were there to warn Israel of potential punishment of God if they were disobeying his word. The high priest was the one who would make atonement sacrifices for Israel so that God would deal with them not as they deserved, but with grace and forgiveness. The king was to lead Israel's armies and be a judge in the larger disputes of the people, sort of like the Supreme Court with the mix, mixture of the presidency. Samuel was a prophet and a high priest, so in himself, God has, had chosen him to take two of the offices upon himself. And after every battle, Samuel would make a sacrifice and give glory to God, and before every battle, Lord, protect us, be with us, fight for us. No one but the high priest was allowed to do this. So to be in the place of a high priest when you're not supposed to be would be the height of pride and presumption and lack of trust in God and lack of trust in the man that God had placed over his nation to be high priest. And so we see that Saul does what is very obvious he should not do, but... Israel was in trouble. The Philistines had them on the run, and Saul wanted to bring courage to his men. 1 Samuel 13, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering, just, and just as he finished making the offering... Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. And that's, we, hopefully, hopefully you haven't had the same experience that I have had. But there's been a few times in my life where I've been foolishly talking about somebody, and they happen to be right behind me, and I've had to repent and ask forgiveness. And this is one of those moments where Saul knows he messed up, and Samuel shows up, and he says, What have you done? Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And that really, it really does seem legitimate. It seems like that's something that I would do. Like, well, he's not here, and we want the Lord to be with us. And, and I really wonder... If he would have just said, I'm sorry, 
If he would have just said, I have sinned against the Lord, what would have happened? But instead, he he gives pretty good reasons. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering because of all of these things. And Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And that must have been heartbreaking for Saul. Uh, But all he does, instead of repenting and saying, what should I do? How do I fix this? How can I be right with the Lord? He grabs Samuel's cloak and says, don't leave, please. And so Samuel finishes some offerings and sacrifices. And then as he leaves, he says, you'll never see me again. And and Saul never sees him again alive. And there's a mysterious point in Saul's life where he really wants to know the Lord's will. Samuel has already died. He's already anointed uh, the next king. But Saul, who had already outlawed, any witches and seers and fortune tellers and soothsayers in the land goes to see one and she conjures up the spirit of Samuel, at least it appears to be the spirit of Samuel, and she knows right away that this is the same king that killed witches and killed seers and soothsayers and she becomes very afraid and Saul doesn't do anything to her because he's obviously in his his own way now and he's made a mess of things. And Samuel rebukes Saul and and gives him news of his son's death and his own death. And it's really tragic because his son, Jonathan, was one of my favorite biblical characters growing up. He was best friends with David. And there's a story before he met David of him and his shield bearer. And what a shield bearer did was carry your shield. And then he had his own shield and he would watch your back while you were fighting And some of the greatest swordsmen in the world could be killed by a sword in the back that they weren't ready for. So they would have a shield bearer who would watch your back and rearm you and make sure that you knew if someone was coming from your right or for your left. Uh, And so he goes and he finds some Philistines and he's down in a valley and there's a short climb up a little cliff. And on top of that cliff is... We don't know exactly what a garrison or a, or a battalion of Philistines was, but somewhere between 20 to 50 men. And Jonathan tells his buddy, if I call up to them and they say, come up, then the Lord has given them into our hands. If they try to come down, then we'll take off. And so he calls up and they say, well, come up then, Israelite. And so Jonathan goes up and he beats somewhere between 20 to 50 men, all by himself with his shield bearer. And just kind of his legend is growing, and he's right in his prime, and it's so tragic that this good man, because of what his father has done, will not be king. Um, he, He really seems a lot like David as well. But the kingly line of Saul would not endure. Jonathan would not sit on the throne. God already had someone else in mind. And this must have tortured Saul. And we see that he lived the rest of his life in insecurity and fear and regret regret, and just this desperate desire to stop whoever it was that God had anointed 
and make sure that his son got to be king. And at this time, the one who the Lord had anointed, I've already said his name, David, was a teenager singing songs to sheep and fighting lions and bears out in the desert. Israel's warrior, poet, he was a prophet, a shepherd, a psalmist, and he was the king that God wanted, that Israel needed. Saul was the king they deserved, a prideful, insecure, handsome, kind of a giant of a man, a superhero figure, kind of a Superman, Captain America figure. But he, his heart was not after God. His heart was after his own place and his own pride and his own position. And that's really what separated him. If you want to look at what made a good king and what made David different than Saul, is that David wanted to be with God, and he was with God. And if I could have one thing written on my tombstone, it would be that he walked with God. And it's, it's very different to be religious and to have knowledge of Scripture than to have been with God and to love him and to be passionate about talking with him and sharing your entire heart with him. And that's who David was. And so we have David as kind of this shadow of the king that will reign forever and ever and ever at the right hand of God. And in Saul's failure, the line would be open for the descendant of Rahab the harlot and Ruth the foreigner and Jesse the farmer to bring onto this earth a king whose line would remain unbroken forever. And it's, it's pretty fascinating to look at what David does. And he, he almost fulfills all three offices in himself except for the high priest. And we're going to really get into the line of David and there's a reason that we hear about Rahab, the harlot, who runs a brothel in Jericho we talked about last week. And Ruth is a Moabitess. And her story is a simple one, but a beautiful one. She marries a man in her country who, who left Israel to go to Moab, and then he died right away. And so she comes back with her mother-in-law. She gets rid of her gods, and she worships the, the god of Naomi, and that's our god. That's the one true god. She gives up everything. She gives her life. And then she meets this wonderful man, Boaz, and they marry, and Boaz is the son or grandson of Rahab the harlot of Jericho, who gave up her gods to follow the one true God. And she says, the fear of your God is throughout our land. Just promise me that you won't destroy my household. And so we have two foreigners, one a harlot who owns a brothel in the line of David and ultimately in the line of our Savior. And what I really understand from that is that God is not interested in picking what sins matter more to him. He is interested in people who want to be with him, and he always forgives, he always loves, he always redeems. And this is a fairly short message, but uh, here's some just things to think about and questions. What kind of person does Saul seem to be? Some of his strengths and some of his weaknesses that come to mind, he, he did seem to have courage. He did seem to seek God, but it, his weaknesses are right there and, and they creep around in his strength just like ours do. 
in his desire to seek God? Was it for the love of God or to obey God or was it to get what he wanted? And so many times we can be exactly like Saul. We, we shouldn't judge him too harshly, harshly. And we want to go to God just for the stuff that we want, just when things are bad and not just because we love him. Or we want to fix things. And even though we know his timing is perfect, it's not perfect enough for us. And so we want to make it happen and we mess up just like Saul. What is the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Well, there's nothing different with the Spirit, but his interaction with us is very different. There are some people, it seems as if we'll get into David's life, but if the Spirit, since he was a young man, never left him. And yet, he wasn't perfect. Just like us. David was kind of the proto-Christian, but in Saul's life, it almost wrecked him. There were a few times where where he was, one time he was after David out in the desert, and in order to save David, the Spirit came upon Saul, and he just fell down and prophesied, and he couldn't chase David because he was being forced to prophesy by the Holy Spirit. It was more this falling upon. And what I've noticed, as it kind of plays out in the Bible, the Holy Spirit covered people, and the sacrifices in the temple covered sin. It did not remove, because it wasn't in the soul of a man or woman. And as we go through the law and how it plays out in Israel and the people's obedience and them following a fallible king now, we see that the law could never remove sin. And we need to really pay attention at these whispers of a future time when sin will be removed. Or when David says in a psalm that we'll get to down the road, you have removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. David is a unique and fascinating character and I can't wait to get in to his life next week. But he understood that it, it was more than just following a law, checking some boxes, acting religious. It was about desiring to be with God, and he had much more than just the covering of our sin waiting for us. So another one that I think about is that, do, you, do I think that Saul was evil, that he's not a believer? And there's so many times in characters in the Bible that really did awful things, and yet you see deep remorse and deep regret. And we can't read in com condemnation to those of Israel who messed up or those in the other nations who God had wiped out. We can't read in that there weren't some people who had called out to the God of this nation coming in and say, if you're real, I want to be with you. And then they didn't get the chance to live that out. And it's important to know because the Bible never just straight up condemns and says all these people went to hell. It says that there were many wicked people and evil people, but we know there's plenty of places today, there's plenty of children who grow, grow up in evil homes and homes of abuse and, and just awfulness. And it's not their fault. They didn't choose where they were born. And there's many times where their parents will be punished and they'll also be punished because their parents are awful. And I trust that God knows what he's doing and that he can see the innocent and protect the innocent. And then lastly, why would God appoint Saul if he knew that Saul was not a man after his own heart? And the answer there is what Samuel said in chapter 12, because you need to know that it's not so great to have a king, that there's going to be plenty of bad kings after that, that they will be a weight, a burden 
upon you. And yes, David was great and awesome and after his own heart, but he had kids and they weren't just like him. Some were, some were, and we're going to get into the line of the kings and what makes a good king and what makes a bad king. So let's pray and just, just think about Saul's actions and our actions when it seems as if God's waiting too long. Father, we thank you that even in our, in our deep mistakes, you redeem, you restore. I, I just wish Saul would have just said, like we hear David, uh, we'll soon hear of David, I have sinned against you. I wonder what would happen, Lord, with Adam and Eve if they had just said, we're so sorry, please forgive us. There's so many times in our lives when things could have been solved so quickly if we would just have repented and laid down our pride and asked for forgiveness from you or for someone we've wronged. Help us, Lord, to have humble hearts, grateful hearts, and hearts that don't keep a track of wrongs done against us, but see the ones that we've done against others, the, the wrongs that we've done against you, and, and focus on our own sin to be rid of it, to have it removed. And I, it's a mystery how it works, Lord, that you have forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west, all the way in our past, in our present, and into the future. But you also, Lord, want us to come to you, as we'll see David do so often, and just ask for your help. Lord, help me to acknowledge my sin before you and to ask for forgiveness and to trust that I'm always forgiven. And I pray, Lord, for anyone listening now, that they would go to you the same way and to really rest in your absolute, wonderful, beautiful, perfect forgiveness. In your name, amen.